0: Come on now. Hey, Sandals Church, I knew you would make it. My name is Jeff White, and if you are there, then that means you are one of three people. Someone who was part of our Sandals Church Anywhere locations, which is like a house church of people who weekly get together and have a church experience in a home, or you are part of our online campus, and you watch online somewhere in the world. I don't know where you are, but you're watching. Or maybe you are someone who is checking us out for the very first time. Hey, how you doing? If you are that last person, then we would love to connect with you and we would love to know that you are there watching. So let us know by typing the number one in the chat or by letting the chat host know and they will chat back with you. Or you can always let your Sandals Church Anywhere Location host know that you are there and they would love to tell you more about that location and what's going on in Sandals Church. And you can always go to sandalschurch.com slash next if you wanna connect with me or someone on the online campus team. You may know this, or maybe you don't know this, but we have this timeless vision, which is to be real. Real with ourselves, God, and others. And I'm telling you guys, because of this vision to be real, it also means that we do our best to make real differences in people's lives and in the communities where where they live and where we worship. With that being said, I just wanna let you know something that's happening next Saturday here in Los Angeles. All of our Southern California local campuses will be joining together for a special day of service called One Day LA. It's our opportunity to love our neighbors near our newest location and campus in Azusa, California, as we join in something bigger than ourselves and help show people that God's people love them. As Christ followers, we want people to notice a difference if all of a sudden we were no longer there in that community. We hope that's the same for you wherever you are to get involved serving others around you. Hey, if you're like me, there are times, many times during the week, I need to be refreshed. And I don't know what brings you here today, but as we sing right now, I pray that you would allow God to pour his spirit over you. And for all of us, as we sing to the only one who can renew us, let's sing. Praise God, I love singing to the Lord and I love singing with our online and our Sandals Church Anywhere family. If you got kids and we got something for them and for you, kids.sandalschurch.tv is a place where we help you disciple your kids and where they can grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Make sure you check that out with them and have the whole family learn together. <laughs> I remember hearing a well-known pastor Talk about a time when he, was, when he was asked by a past president of the United States if he would be willing to come to his presidential inauguration to pray. After hanging up the phone, his wife asked him, well, well, what are you gonna do? At which he replied, well, I'm going to pray because that's what pastors do. Well, we are all supposed to pray, but as your pastor, I want to pray for you. After a Sunday, 8.15 a.m. service, I will be on Facebook praying for you live. We do this every third Sunday of the month and, and I would love to take your prayer request and offer it up to the Lord. Make sure you join me after the 8:15 a.m. service on Facebook to pray for you live. Today we have the privilege of hearing another win-in Rome series message from our Palm Avenue campus, Pastor Fredo) <laughs>
1: What's good, Sandals Church? It is an honor to be with you guys today. And look, if you are joining us for the first time, man, I just want you to know it's a real treat that you would be with us, too. And to let you know, we have been going through, over the last several months, a series through the Book of Romans. Now, the Book of Romans is probably one of the most dense, rich, and profound books that you will ever read in the Bible. It's got so much Christian doctrine, but at the same time, it is very, very practical, And we happen to be finding ourselves here in Romans chapter 12, probably one of the most beautiful pictures of what the Christian life actually looks like. So it's not just so much about what we believe, but how it shapes and changes our lives as Christians. And so our passage today here from Romans 12, Paul, the author and writer, is going to help us understand what it is that you and I offer the world. Think about that for a second. What is it that you offer the rest of the world as a Christian? Now, for some of you, if I were to ask you, what is it that you offer the world? You'd be like, well, duh, a lot. (laughs) Look at me. Like, Have you seen me? I got a lot to offer. And that, surprisingly, is pretty true. You are a unique individual. The Bible says that you were made in God's image. And so there's a quality about you that no one else can bring except you. But Paul here is going to present to us a, a better vision of what it looks like about what we can bring to the world. Because it is true that you bring uniquely yourself but man, how much more do we bring together as a community? And that's something that we ultimately, ultimately need. And so we're going to read here from Romans 12 about what it is that we bring and what it is that we offer to the world. Because at the end of the day, whether you're young or old, uh, you're successful or unsuccessful, uh, whether you're just kind of starting a career or you've been in one for a long time, you wanna know deep down inside that what you do and who you are matters. And so when I ask you, what is it that you offer the world? Your soul is just dying to know that it's something meaningful. And Paul here in Romans 12 says that it is. And so let's read together, starting here in verse three, and then I'll pray for us. Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. We can just stop there. (laughs) But rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member, listen now, belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I ask now that in our moment together, you would speak to us powerfully from it. God, in this moment, would you by your spirit just open up our hearts and open our minds. God, even as we sit here, would you just open our bodies to receive you and to be changed by what we see, to be changed by what we see and what we hear. we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a few days ago, I started a documentary on a very famous individual who had a lot to offer the rest of the world, had a lot. In fact, became very famous and well-known for what he offered the world, what he kind of brought to the table and what his gift was. But it, it don't always start like this. In fact, in this documentary, he opens up about how difficult his childhood was. You see, he was born into a coal mining family, pretty poor family, in a village in the country of Austria. And from a young age, this young boy had a stepdad who was very, very verbally and physically abusive. He remembers and shares in this documentary the trauma that he experienced day in and day out from his stepdad. In fact, he can recount stories where his stepdad would come home angry and drunk and would send him out of the house to go into the woods and grab a stick to bring home and to be beat with it. You would only imagine, man, what that does to someone about what they feel like they can offer the world, what they can offer themselves. That can be immensely traumatic. But over time, this man says, as a young boy, he discovered where his refuge was. In the midst of this chaos, in the midst of that kind of abuse, ironically, y'all, it was in the kitchen. This young boy found a home and safety in the kitchen. And the individual I'm talking about is Wolfgang Puck. You guys might know him. That may not, that may not, uh, the name might sound familiar to you. Very famous celebrity chef. And he remembers that at a young age, uh, he had just turned 14, barely finished school. His mom, in order to help him get out of the house, found him a job as a chef's apprentice working in a local uh, hotel kitchen. And he said his one job, was really just to do two things every day as a young 14-year-old, and it was to peel potatoes and clean the kitchen. That was it. And I was just fascinated by this kind of presentation Wolfgang was giving about his own life because, man, if there's anyone that's got a lot to offer, it's him, famous, famous celebrity chef, and yet one of the greatest cooks started out by not cooking at all. And what he said was so profound in this documentary. He said, I learned to work with where I was at. I didn't like my situation. I didn't like necessarily where uh, I came from, but I, I learned to work with it. I learned to make the most out of what I had. And listen, in order for you and I to find our gifts, in order for you and I to discover what it is that we offer the world, that's the first thing we need to do too. We need to work with where I am. But we're not necessarily in a kitchen, y'all. We are in Christ. Notice what Paul says there in verse three do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather, Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, what what is Paul getting at here? He says, don't think of yourself too highly. In other words, he's implying that by nature, all of us are very good at having an overinflated view of who we actually are. We're good at this. We don't have to be told to do this. We naturally think that we're just better at things. And so if we're going to start with where we're at, that means we have to be honest about where we're at who we actually are. Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself, but rather think of yourself, notice this key phrase, with sober judgment. The word there means that your, your view of yourself is an honest one, it's a real one, it's grounded in reality. In other words, it's grounded in what is true. It's a sober, realistic analysis of who you are. Now, I experience this from time to time, as a person, even as a husband. Uh, just last week, uh, my wife and I were at the table or at the dinner table, and we're just going through old photos and videos. And uh, she's, she's scrolling across her phone, and she comes across this image, and it's of, of us in the car, and I got something in my hand, and so I, I say, so hit play, like, let's see what that video is. And Ashley's holding the phone, she's in the passenger seat, I'm in the driver's seat, and I am going to town on this Dairy Queen blizzard. <laughs> Because in the image, I couldn't tell what I was holding. I was like, what's going on? And I look at this thing, and I'm just devouring a blizzard. And I had this very sobering moment of just me thinking, like, that's how I eat? <laughs> now, I know, and you can tell by the way that I look, that I probably am very familiar with food. <laughs> but I didn't know that like, I arch like that, and my neck comes out like that, and my hand can move that fast. It, it was very embarrassing. Just at night, thinking about, like, man, our time and the different things we've done. And here we come across this video of me devouring a blizzard. It's a very sobering picture. And I, and I turned to Ashley, and I was like, have I always eaten like this? And her reply was like, yes. She just learned to cope with it. But, but what's so helpful, though, is that you, you begin to understand that a sober judgment, in other words, uh, an honest view of who you are, comes from the outside. In other words, you need a perspective that you necessarily can't find within yourself, which is why the whole discussion of like having high esteem or high self-esteem or low self-esteem isn't necessarily helpful at the end of the day, because that's not what Paul's getting at. He's not saying, well, don't have too high of a self-esteem, because that's not going to get you anywhere. Because when you think about it, what, what people with high self-esteem and low self-esteem both struggle with is community. Someone with high self-esteem says, well, I don't need anybody. And people with low self-esteem says nobody would want me. They both need community and they're both too inwardly focused. And so I think if we're going to work with where I am and if I am in Christ, then we need to set aside both high self-esteem and low self-esteem. And to have a right view of ourselves is first and foremost to receive for ourselves the love of God. That's where we start. That's what it means to work with where I am. It means to receive first and foremost that you are loved by God. Before you do anything, you are loved and accepted in Christ. And so if we're going to offer anything to the world, if we're going to discover what our gifts are, and what what we do matters, it has to come first and foremost from a place of already being accepted and already being loved. That's what it looks like to start with where we are at. Man, because imagine, just for a second, imagine if Wolfgang had never just followed those two simple steps to peel potatoes and to clean the kitchen. He started with where he was at, and look what he turned into. Imagine now for us, if we can start with where we're at, loved and accepted, with a love that is never-ending, imagine where we can go. Imagine what we can offer the world. Imagine what we could offer our families and the relationships that we're in if we began every single day from a place of love and acceptance. So if you want to find your gifts, if you want to truly understand what it is that you offer the world, you need to first start to work with where you are. But secondly, you need to learn to work with who I have. It's not just about where you're at, but also who you have, and that is a spiritual family. Notice what Paul says here in Romans 12, verses four and five. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Notice the language here. One body, many members. Many people, one body. You see, what's so beautiful about the Christian presentation of being a person is that you are uniquely you and you belong to people. And so the narrative today that, man, life at the, at the baseline is, is you being free and happy, and that happens by you deciding who you want to be, only gets half the story right. There's a, grander, there's, a, there's a much more profound and wonderful invitation to come to know who you are, but also who you belong to, and that is a community. And as he says there at the end of verse 5, each member belongs to all the others. Paul is offering us a new vision of ourselves, that means that we are part of a spiritual family. He says this there in verse one too, uh, from the very beginning of the same chapter. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Now, we cannot lose sight of this word because if you're familiar with scripture, you know that these are titles used all the time, especially in New Testament letters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. But you need to understand that in Rome at this time, Paul is writing to churches who have deep, deep hostility towards one another because they are filled with Jewish and Gentile believers. There is immense ethnic and racial tension. And Paul says, guess what? You are now brothers and sisters. The family of God is not just a group of singular, homogenous people, but enemies who now become family members. Brothers and sisters, one body of many members. This is the vision that Paul is casting for us. But this is not just Paul's vision. This is also something that Jesus offered all the people as he was here on earth as well. Notice from Matthew 12, a story that comes out of Matthew's gospel. He writes, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, Listen, your your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting and wanting to speak to you. And notice Jesus' reply. He replied to them, Who is my mother? Now listen, that's a little harsh. Like, can you imagine Mary hearing that outside? Like, boy, do you know what I had to go through to have you? He says, Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever, listen to this phrase now, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The vision that Jesus gives to us of a church is that of a family. And it's not so much that he would use the language of mom and dad, because in Jesus's day, in the time of the New Testament, family was everything. So this communal idea was very, very commonplace. What's so radical and different is that Jesus would say, we are not brought together by blood, but by something completely different. And he uses this word, whoever, which means that anyone, the good news now, anyone is welcomed in the family of God. Anyone can come into the family of God, anyone. The church is to be a family when you think about it, this is at the heart of all human existence. Not not just human existence, but the entire universe. Think about this for a second. A family is what created everything. The Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all created the universe. Out of a family love, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, out of this family love comes everything we know. In the same way that out of a family picture comes you and I, when we're born. At the heart of the universe, think about this, is a family. And the church is to, in a unique, simple, but profound way, picture this reality. Now, if we are to be in family, then like I said, number one, anyone is invited into God's family. Anyone. Sinners and addicts and doubters and you coming today thinking you shouldn't be here. No, you are exactly where you should be. Because anyone is invited here. Your past doesn't keep you away from the church. It doesn't keep you away from the family. Your your, uh, messed up present right now doesn't even keep you away. Anyone is invited to join this family, you guys. Anyone can come and be a part of this group. The second thing, though, that we need to consider about a spiritual family is that we share life with the family. Life is shared with the family. In other words, the church is to be a family to such a degree that you know others and others know you. You know other people's hopes and their dreams and their fears and their patterns and um, what they hope to do. You you care for them. You, You carry their burdens. You help them make decisions. You offer advice. You show up when things are hard. You know others and others know you. And so the question I think that all of us need to be asking right now is this, who knows you here at Sandals Church? Who knows you? Because I think a sad reality that we face, not just here at Sandals Church, but all across America, is this grand temptation to come in and just consume at church and never contribute. Never see yourself at the table. Never see yourself as a family member. So who knows you? Whether you attend one of the the largest sandals churches or one of the smallest ones or somewhere in between, this can happen to anyone and anywhere. And so let me ask you, who knows you? Who knows you here? Because life is to be shared in the family. But thirdly now, conflict, listen to this one, conflict in the family is normal, but not final. Conflict in the family is normal, but not final. In other words, if the family is made up of anyone, as Jesus would say, then we would expect that different perspectives, different backgrounds, different experiences, different gifts, as we'll get into in just a minute, all come together to form this crazy, messy family. Some of you guys know what this is like, right? And so we would expect conflict. We should, in some degree, welcome it and normalize conflict, but it's not the final thing. Because in the same way that our differences, our ethnicities, our different perspectives, Um, our different strengths. Yes, they create difference and division and conflict, but listen, they're also that which creates the solution. We need to start to consider a a more beautiful picture that God has for us, that conflict is, is, yes, born out of our differences, but so is the solution. The solution comes from our differences. And so you need to understand is, yeah, you might feel less welcome, Or you might think that person shouldn't be welcomed here. But listen, not only will they create conflict, but they will be part of the solution. That is the beauty of the family of God. We create conflict, but it's not the end. That's not the final story. Something restorative comes out of it. And if I could just be honest, this is where I think so many people find themselves right now at church. Uh, As a pastor, I've kind of seen these, these stages that people go into, as they make a decision as to whether or not they'll really join a church or not. You know, at first you come in and it's kind of like that ideal stage. That's the first stage. It's kind of the honeymoon stage, right? Where you just, you love everything. The songs are amazing. The teaching is great. There's humor. Um, Everything just feels fresh. You're like, man, this church is amazing. And you know what? You should just stay a little longer and then you'll come to find some things out. Because the honeymoon phase got to end. The ideal begins to shed away. And at some point, stage two enters, which is disappointment. Disappointment sets in. You, you hear something that, well, oh, I don't know if I like that. Something do, uh, someone does something you're not OK with. Maybe even just a group of people that you have kind of called your community, like you just you get over them. Like at first, it was great. We hung out all the time. And now it's like, man, they, they say the same thing every week. <laughs> Like their problems haven't changed, Disappointment becomes a very real and honest thing. And generally, this is just where people leave. And there's a temptation, especially today, to do this. Why? Because we have so much Christian content out there. You can download the best preachers, the best Christian uh, sermons and messages and topics. But But here's the thing, that your favorite person that you podcast will probably never be able to officiate your funeral. They probably won't be the person who officiates your wedding. They probably won't show up to the hospital with you, but your family will. The local group that you give yourself to, they can do that thing. They're able to show up and be there. And so the invitation I think for us is to consider an opportunity to move beyond stage two of disappointment and enter stage three, which is family. You see, this becomes a moment where you begin to understand that, yes, I don't like everything that's said. I don't like everything that's done, but I can still be here. This is still my home because at the end of the day, it's not about me and my preferences. It's about us collectively and what not only what I can bring and what I can offer, but what we all collectively offer together. And, you know, uh, in talking about this with my wife, she said something just so profound the other day. She really should be the one talking, honestly, y'all. Um, but we were talking about this, this, uh, this just part and aspect of staying through what disappoints you. And she said, man, when I wake up, it's not always the case that every day I might necessarily choose Sandals Church, but I'm called to Sandals Church. And I love that. Now, some of you, that might sound a little cold. I think it's maturity. There's a sense that, man, yes, my preferences and how I'm feeling on a certain day and what I just heard, I might not always choose this family, but I am called here. And I would encourage any of you guys, man, to to make a decision about where you are called. Where will you call home? Is this going to be your family? And listen, I'm not saying that there's not a point to leave, right? That that can go without being said. Certainly there's kind of a spiritual abuse, things that happen that you should walk away from. But unfortunately, what generally happens is that people miss the beautiful stage of family commitment, which is where Jesus does his best work. So generally, if we're out after disappointment, we miss Jesus's best work in the relationships when we make a decision to commit to people and to stay. And honestly, the people who I've met in my life who are the most mature, stable, just just full of wisdom, they're individuals who have committed. They're individuals who have stayed. They're individuals who have long-lasting, tight-knit relationships with people. In other words, they know what it's like to be a part of a church family. They're a family. And they understand that the church lives as a family, but listen now, it also functions as a body. It functions as a body. God's family, listen, is interdependent on each other. In other words, we need each other. The body needs the different members. So I want you guys to turn right now to someone and say, I need each other. We need each other. You watching too, say, we need each other. Say it louder like you mean it, y'all. We need each other. There we go. Now we're starting to sound like a cult. There we go. But now listen, if you happen to be, you know, at a church and you are a single guy and you just turned to a single lady and said, we need each other, you might want to backtrack just a little bit. Don't take it that far. But we are interdependent. We need each other. Here's what Paul says, actually, in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. What he's drawing out here is this organic, deep tied interdependent relationship on one another. We need your perspective. The church needs you. We are better with you. And guess what? You need us. And there's a harmony. there. There's a beauty and a wonder that happens when you see a body working together like this. You know, in just a few weeks, uh, the Summer Olympics are going to be on. And I'm going to be watching most of them or as much as I can. I don't know about you, but I just, I love watching the Olympics. And I think what uh, fascinates so many of us as people who watch the Olympic Games is these athletes who have trained for months and months have found a way to Uh, discipline and bring their bodies together in such a way to achieve a unique goal at a unique moment in the spirit of competition and with all the lights and cameras on them. It's incredible to watch these athletes, whether it's, you know, swimming or basketball or uh, even gymnastics, man. If you guys have been watching, uh, Simone Biles, incredible athlete most decorated American gymnast, I think. And it's incredible to think about what she has trained over the years to bring her body to do. It leaves us as viewers just like, man, that's incredible. That's a body trained over time with dedication and all of its parts coming together to work and achieve one singular thing. That's the vision that Paul is laying out for us, that we can come together and do something much, much better as a whole Body. There's a, a medical doctor and psychiatrist, Dr. Kurt Thompson, who talks about the importance of embodied presence. He's a Christian, but he specializes in the, the brain and the neurological functions of our lives as Christians. And he says, when we are not with people and when we do not give ourselves to a community, what ultimately happens to our brains is a lot like a cell phone when it's trying to connect to a tower. It's trying constantly and constantly to find a signal, to find a connection, right? If your Wi-Fi is on, you're constantly looking for Wi-Fi and your battery is drained because the cell phone knows the tower is out there, but it can't find it. In the same way, he says, our brains know that embodied community is out there, but we haven't found it yet. But he says, what's incredible is when you are with somebody else, your left brain and right brain come together. Your brainstem comes together. So there's this neurological union that happens when you are brought together with people, you come together as a person. That's an incredible thing. And that's what Paul is inviting us into. If we're going to be someone who embraces our gifts and offers great things to the world, we need to do it together as a whole body. Now, if this just feels like too much for you, this idea of church as a family, and I I, I can imagine that that's heavy, especially if you come out of a family with uh, traumatic backgrounds. Your experience with your parents or siblings has not been great. But the invitation I think for you is to consider God as a father who wants to reparent you into his family. Because this, this idea that you can just you know, come to church when you have time, take in a few messages, listen to some music, know a few people, and then just go about your life, Listen, no judgment at all, but that's just not the picture of the New Testament. Nor is that the vision that Jesus gives to us as Christians. He calls us to be a family. And and where you get that idea, and even where I get that idea to some degree, is our Western individualistic society that has somehow convinced us, informed us that we can just go as much as we want to and take what we need. And honestly, what happens is you end up just bouncing from church community to the church community And the only thing that ever changes about your life is your age. You never grow as a Christian because you don't find yourself a part of a family. But the last thing now that we need is not just to work with where we're at and who we have, but we need to work with what God has given us. And that's spiritual gifts. Notice what Paul says here in verses six and eight. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Notice what he says here. Different gifts according to the grace that's been given to us. You see, the source of our gifts is God, not us. We don't determine it. We don't decide what we get. There is this unique working of God in which he hardwires you and I to be someone that we could not be on our own. And he does this not just for our good, but for the benefit of other people. It's amazing to think that God loves people through people. God serves people through people. And so the way that you experience the grace of God practically in your life is through the grace of other people. And that's the invitation that Paul is calling us all into. Receive your gift, use what you have for the good of other people. And he starts out with this list, if prophesying, then prophesy. Now, what this means, really, I think, is someone who can bring a word from God to the people of God. This can be in the setting like a preacher, a pastor, but I think it also can happen in everyday life. Some people just have this ability. They have a word from God, and in the right moment, they know how to give it to the people of God. There's also just this ability to serve, man. You just know where there are needs, and you know how to close that gap. You have that ability within you teaching. In other words, if you have this ability to instruct and just lay things out, do it. If it's to encourage, in other words, it literally means to instill courage into people. The word there means to come alongside and support. If you can do that, do it. If you can give, give. If you can lead. Some people are just great at creating a path and people follow that path, do it. If it's to show mercy to those who are in need, deep need then do that as well. Now, what I don't want you to hear is that this is the full exhaustive list. That's not at all what Paul is doing. I think what he's laying out here is descriptions that made sense to the church in that day. Because I'm gonna say something that will probably sound strange, but I think a lot of things can be spiritual gifts. I really do. There's lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, and then here in Romans 12, but I think a lot of different things can be gifts. You just gotta figure out what you Because there's speaking gifts, like prophecy and teaching. Uh, There's leading gifts, like administration. Paul talks about that. And then there's also serving gifts, right? Those are kind of the three general categories. But within those categories, there was a lot of room to discover what it is that you have and what it is that you bring to the table. So how can you discover your gifts? Three things. First of all, what's your passion? Think about your passion. What is it that you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy? What are you passionate about? What kind of gives you life? What fills your cup? Try that, try that out. And then secondly, possibilities. What have you tried doing, right? This is a kind of a learn by doing thing. In other words, I don't think you can discover your spiritual gift by just taking a test. I think you need to be in community. I think community helps to clarify for you what your gift is, so try things out. If you wanna learn what you're good at in ministry, then do ministry, join things. Uh, greet, serve, care for kids, find ways to be a part of what we're doing here, both on the weekends and over the course of a week. Possibilities, you gotta try things out. And lastly, people, what does your community say about your gifts? What have people said about you that you're good at? You see, this is that wonderful part where we actually need other people to speak into our lives and to draw out of us what it is that we can offer. Most of us, maybe if we felt like, man, I don't know what it is, just give yourself time and community. Because first and foremost, you gotta see this, that you are also a gift. The very fact that you are a part of the church means that you're a gift. You're a member, you're a part of what we do here. You yourself are a gift. And God wants to give his grace to you in such a way that you're able to give that away to other people as well. And so what we have to offer the world, you guys, is absolutely everything everything. And we can begin to find our gifts this way. You know, there's so much talk today about, man, what's going to happen to the church? The world just seems so hostile and so angry. I think it's real simple. We're going to be the church. That's the answer. We're going to be what Jesus has called us to be and what he's empowered us to be. You know, there's, there's so much like alarmness going on out there. Like, man, the culture is destroying the church and we need to be worried and we need to kind of huddle up together. No, I think we need to be a family. I think one of the best ways for us to respond to uh, hostility and everyone being so easily offended and just the polarization of life right now is just to be a family, to offer a different picture of what you can be and give away to the world. I think that's our call. And and the core, I think, of where this starts is when you come to see the way that Jesus has served you. You see, we serve people to the degree that we have experienced the loving service of God himself for us. Mark says himself that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our invitation is to first and foremost receive Jesus as serving us, living for us, dying for us, rising for us so that we might become a new person. And then secondly, to begin to consider, man, how can I serve? What does it look like for me to be a part of this community? I'm gonna encourage some of you, man, if you're in a group, great. Go there, ask questions, press into, man, where you can draw out more of your gifts. If you're not in a group, grab some friends. Grab at least one other person you know here at the church and make a decision, man, we're gonna be a family. We're going to do this and allow us, the church, to help you figure this out together, man, because by the grace of God, you can offer something incredible to the world. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you, God, that you have called us as individuals to be a part of a family. And so would you help us now in this moment to first receive the way that you have served us. God, you have served us. Would that change our hearts and our attitudes? Would that help us to see that we can be a part of a family? And God, would that empower us by your spirit to offer ourselves to the world as a better picture of what it looks like to live? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: You know, not only are we fully accepted by God, but he has given every one of us gifts to offer to the world. We want to help you find your gifts. And the best place to do that is by stepping onto the real team here at Samuel's Church. The real team is where, is, is, is where you bring everything to life and where, and where everything comes to life here. And it's your place to get to use your unique gifts to make a real difference. And as we continue to build our online presence, no matter where you are in the world, you can be part of this real team. Let us help you uncover your true gifts. You can find out more by letting the chat host know, or you can check out sandalschurch.com team. Hey, I wanna let you know that that is a true gift to know that, that we've already been accepted and loved by God, no matter who we are or what we have to offer. I am so thankful to get to be part of this family with you. And I'm so grateful to see the amazing things that can happen when we come together to serve each other and follow Jesus. This week was such a great example of that as Sandals Church sent a record number of kids to camp this year, as well as more volunteers than ever before, and not to mention, so many students gave their life to Christ. Come on now, that's what I'm talking about. This happens when we come together as a family and give to what God is doing. You can give on our Sandals Church app or by going to give.se, no matter how much you give, I just want to say thank you so much for partnering with us and giving to sandals church my sandals church family my people my friends my family thank you so much for being here today and i hope you were refreshed encouraged challenged and changed make sure you join us every third sunday and this weekend after the 8:15 a.m service on facebook where i will be praying for you live Hope to see you there, and I hope to see you right back here next week for another powerful service. Take care.